0: Hi, welcome to the career podcast of the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University Belfast. I'm Alice and this is episode 21 of the theory of the postdoc evolution recorded in May 2022. The theme of this episode is entrepreneurship and you'll hear me talk to Caroline Barrel, CEO and founder of Elasmogen about her own experience, and to Kat Maguire, highlighting commercialization program for postdocs to explore entrepreneurship. Enjoy. So our first speaker today is uh, Dr. Caroline Barrel. And Caroline is an entrepreneur. She's got her own company called Elasmogen, who is based in Scotland. And Caroline did a PhD before she was a postdoc and she worked also in different companies in the pharmaceutical or biotech uh, industry and, and sector. Um, So Caroline, thank you very much for agreeing to join us today uh, and talk about your own experience. I guess my first question would be for our audience to understand you a little bit better. What is your background as a researcher? What did you do for uh, your PhD or your postdoc? Yes, sure. And and may I begin at least by thanking you for the kind
1: invitation. I think this is a great initiative and it's delightful to be involved in anything to do with encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, So my PhD was in something called fibrinolysis. It's the breakdown of clots in the blood. It was very much pure biochemistry, protein biochemistry. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think a PhD is a great opportunity to become an independent scientist, an independent thinker. It enables you to take on more responsibility, like supervisory roles and building up a network. So it was a great start to my career. There's no question about that. And the natural transition at that point was into a postdoc. And because I'd been so involved in protein biochemistry, I thought I really needed to expand my skill base. And so I moved into a much more molecular biology based postdoc. And I, in fact, joined a group that were working on medical mycology. I never thought ever I would work on fungus. But there you go. But the beauty of what I was doing and what I identified both from my Ph.D. and my postdoc was that I needed to be working on something medically relevant something that could be translated, something that could mean something eventually into the clinic. And that's kind of a thread that I've maintained throughout my career. And so I actually did three post-ops, two of which were part-time. And the reason they were part-time is that I brought two people into the world during that process. <laughs> so that's basically, it was kind of a balance between prote molecular biology, doing a lot of kind of work in pathogenesis and um, I guess, you know, things that invade the body and looking at um, mechanisms by which you can stop that happening
0: brilliant and why did you decide to leave the postdoc life (laughs) so you know we
1: postdoc life is great please know that I think it's fantastic but I guess you know having spoken to a lot of postdocs and and being a postdoc and haven't been a postdoc for a long time there's that piece about stability you move from one postdoc to another, and it's fascinating because you know when your termination date is at the end of <laughs> end of a particular contract. Um, I think I just kind of got to the stage that I felt I couldn't compete academically, actually, because I had a number of people in the same team who had progressed further, were already taking that next step into getting their own research groups, their own research grants. And I think I just needed a change. I know that sounds quite vague, but I just think I am the kind of person that likes change. And an opportunity arose, which is always the case in many situations. And it was a spin-out company at the University of Aberdeen, and they were an antibody therapeutic company. I had never worked in antibodies. I knew very little about antibodies and immunology. I knew nothing about industry, so I applied, and I got the job.
0: That's great. And I mean, I relate totally to that, needing a change, feeling that something is not just right anymore and you'll need a different challenge and and something else to to focus on. Um, So we're going to focus, of course, today on on, for the discussion on your uh, role as an entrepreneur, but because you worked in several companies before, is there any takes you have on working with small and big companies that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes, of course. I'd love to. So, as I said,
1: I moved into a small biotech company and it relit my fire. I I, I have to say that I just loved it. And the reason that I loved it, and, and it was a big transition because I moved out of the lab. As a, as a lab-based postdoc, I bought a one-way ticket to move out into a more managerial role in this biotech company. And the first thing I realized very quickly is that you don't just have one job, you have many jobs in a biotech company. And it has this wonderful culture in that you're all striving towards one common goal, which is the success of the science, therefore the success of the company and the growth of the company. And I was exposed not only to the science as I overviewed all the programs that were ongoing, which was fabulous in itself because we worked in liver fibrosis, we worked in cancer, we worked in inflammation. I endured all of that. But also the business side of the company. So I was exposed to the alliance management side, the business development side, the corporate side, actually. So in any small company, you are exposed to all aspects of it, and I found that as a huge positive. The challenge, though, is in a small company, particularly a biotech company, is you're always looking for investment. So this piece about stability doesn't really fit very well with a small company because there are ups and there are downs, and you share that roller coaster together. But having said that, very innovative, very exciting, lots going on. I then transitioned into large pharma. And that was a big change, a huge change. And there was just this kind of feeling and and I became a team leader. So I I went from a company of about 35 people to a company of 54,000. And I was leading a team in therapeutic biologics, just immediately the, 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 the kind of culture changed, not in a bad way, but just in a different way, because you were then a, a much smaller part of a much larger machine and the expectations, the pressure, all of these things changed as well. So it, it was, it was quite challenging, but the resources, the science, the kit, everything was just out of this world coming, having come from a postdoc lab where, you know, you had a few pipettes into a small biotech company where you were limited with money and resources, into this huge corporate machine. You know, you could be running a team of individuals, you could send, you know, sequences over to America. And overnight, all the bioinformatic analysis had been done, all the data was done, all the structural analysis was done. I mean, it was fantastic. It was really good. And it really, really gave me a good taste for drug discovery, which is something that I continued.
0: And so why did you eventually decide to start your own venture or adventure or both? It was a little bit of a push, if I'm being perfectly honest with the
1: audience. So the last company I ended up working for was Pfizer. And there was a lot of change that took place in the company. And and what they were doing was reducing the earlier stage R&D, which is where I firmly fitted with my team. And they were bolstering their endpoint clinical trials and also their sales. And so it was not only our site here in Aberdeen that eventually was closed down, sadly, but also a very large RD site in England as well, in, in Sandwich, Kent. So it was not a pleasant experience, I can assure you. And it's never a pleasant experience when you're doesn't. And uh, I also remember going through all of these stages that I believe you go through in grief. You, first of all, it's denial. And then it's kind of you get upset about it. I felt I... Hadn't been a good enough leader. And then I got really angry. <laughs> and then I, I then I calmed down and accepted it. And um, the technology that I'd worked on in Pfizer was a really good technology. And I thought, well, you know, I've never started anything before. I've been part of a biotech, but I've never started a biotech. If not now, when? What's the worst that could happen? Um, and I just went ahead and and gave it a go.
0: And, you know, so far, so good. Brilliant. And where did the idea for your business come from? Yeah, so as I said, I kind of touched on it, was a
1: technology that we developed through the big pharma companies. Um, it's a single domain antibody technology, which is like uh, a kind of big antibody but has various advantages and can be used potentially against a number of different diseases to develop new therapeutics. So the fundamental research had been undertaken already, but it was not being taken forward and so i essentially achieved almost what you would call a, a kind of management buyout of the technology out of the big pharma company and that involved quite a lot of negotiation that involved a lot of contractual uh, requirements but then when i got funding to start the company i cleared all of that out i reassessed the whole platform we rebuilt the platform we rebuilt the opportunities and we also bolstered the ip which was critically important so we did a lot of work on the technology post um, bringing it out of the of the large pharma.
0: Okay, and so how did you actually get started? I know you mentioned a few steps there, but once you decided, I want to build my own company and this is what I want to do, how did you get to, to do it? Yes, I know. It's, you know, when you
1: start something you've never done before, there's always a lot of questions. <laughs> and so the first thing we needed was funding. Right. Like I said, I had a group of scientists in Aberdeen, but we had no money. So what we did was we went out and looked for what you call non-dilutive money. And what I mean by that is grant support. And I'm kind of fortunate here in Scotland. I'm aware that Northern Ireland also has support, but we have an agency called Scottish Enterprise and Scottish Enterprise are keen to develop good economic value, obviously, for the country. And so there was there were grants available. Um, so we managed to secure one of those grants. We also managed to secure a BBSRC Super Follow-on Fund, which was fantastic. So with both of those together, we we stayed under the umbrella of the university for for three four years, employing the team, as I said, bolstering the IP, really rethinking the strategy around the technology and the platforms and such like. But then that only lasts for so long, and you have to then spin out the company. So during that time, I was um, pulling in lawyers, I was pulling in IP lawyers, I was talking to the university about what the share structure would look like in the company, who would have how much equity in the company. So that's called a cap table. I was also speaking to the Scottish Investment Bank about getting uh, funding to actually officially spin the company out. So there was an awful lot going on. On top of that, you're running the science, you're you're looking after the kind of PR, you're trying to think of a website, you're trying to think of a name for the company. And I was also very fortunate that I was a Royal Society of Edinburgh entrepreneurial fellow at the time. So it also gave me the time to kind of think about how I was going to devise the business model, think about how we were going to do things and, and what we needed, et cetera. So that was, that was great timing for me. And it gave me a lot of support. But a key thing is to bring the right people in at the right time. There are a lot of incredible people out there. And I know that the Queen's is incredible when it comes to support. And that was critical for me, for me personally, because when you start doing something you've never done before, you need that support structure anyway. But also from a business perspective, you know, the hard, cold truth about you do need this or you do need that and and somebody to convert uh, legal speak into English, etc. So, <laughs> So eventually we spun the company out on the back of a convertible loan. And uh, what I mean by that is that we get money, which will either have to be paid back after a period of time, or will convert into equity over a certain period of time. And that was like a, a seed fund, if you like. And that enabled us then to officially spin the company out. So we had Uh, We were on company's House, we were registered, we were functioning as a a private or a separate entity from the university, and then the fun begins because you're looking for the next investment. So
0: this is the story of how Elas Mogen was born. Was (laughs) born. So when you look back now, because you've been uh, in this role and as an entrepreneur for a, a little while, what do you see as the pros and cons of being an entrepreneur as a career?
1: So the absolute pros are you are your own boss, essentially. You know, you, you can carve out what you want to do and, and how you want to do it. And I love that. I must admit, I love that. I think I would struggle to go back into employment now because you've been given these freedoms. Um, and that part I really enjoy. I mean, as scientists, we're all creative and innovative. And entrepreneurship is just another adjective towards those kind of functional kind of characteristics. And so you really can enjoy and expand and, and, and think really kind of beyond where you thought you would be and, and capture a lot of things that you never thought you'd be able to do. So that I love. Although, please note, you do have to be focused as well. OK, it's not all about just going broad. It's also about actually building a company and delivering on milestones. So but that's an absolute positive. I love it. Um, apart from the fact I can't spell the word, I think it's great to be kind of labeled as that. Um, negatives are probably that you are your own boss and you're therefore responsible for other employees and such like. So, you know, the absolute pro is the absolute con. There are challenges and there are pressures. There's no question about that because I now have a team of individuals and they look to me for leadership, but also for their livelihoods and paying their salaries. And so with that comes an obvious level of responsibility. Um, But they're a great team of people. And as I said at the start, the beauty of a small biotech company is you are all really, really working closely together. So there is a common goal and it's a wonderful culture that you build from the onset that you retain as you grow as a company.
0: Great. How would you actually describe what you do yourself as a CEO? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It is. Well,
1: what I love about it is it's completely diverse. Right. So there are so many different aspects of of what I do. But I guess my day job or my main role is to drive the strategy of the company. So to look at which direction we're going in, to be very aware of the external landscape around us at all times, the competitive landscape, to ensure that what we are doing is meaningful, differentiated and investable, which is a key thing. And so I lead the team basically at a corporate level, but also a scientific level. So I, I, I would define myself as CSO as well at the moment in the company, because I love the science. So I very much keep um, on top of what's happening scientifically. We have regular meetings. The team are just through these walls here. We're always chatting about what's going on, which is brilliant. But I am responsible ultimately for the direction and the governance. So I spend a lot of time looking for investment Biotech companies are a bit weird because we make nothing and we sell nothing, but we need millions of pounds in order to do that. So the way that you do it is you you build value in the company by progressing a pipeline of drugs through towards the clinic. And the purpose there is at some point you will either be acquired or you will get more investment and you will grow or you will IPO, which means you'll go for an initial public offering, which you, you will go onto the public markets to bring in more money. But that's basically the nature of the game. And like I said at the start, it's the only company I would really have created because I love drug discovery. And I've ultimately only ever wanted to be a small part of a drug that gets into the clinic. But apart from that, the responsibilities on the early days were all the finances, dealing with all the legal contracts and MTAs, dealing with all the business development, all the networking, all the marketing. I mean, pretty much everything sat on my shoulders but now we've sort of matured and we've evolved i now have a cfo to do the finances i now have a lab manager to deal with the day-to-day i am going to be bringing on somebody who is senior in the science team who can manage the kind of direction of the programs of work and such like so it does get easier i think <laughs> although no two days as with most of us i think probably around this podcast no two days are the same but that's what i love
0: yes I'm sure. And so in terms of the how you get to fund your company, I, mean, I know you've talked a little bit about that, but did you approach the university yourself? How did that go? And I guess I had a follow-up question on that. How difficult do you think it is to keep funding this uh, venture of yours?
1: Sure. So to answer the first question... Um, The university didn't have any funding mechanism um, for our company in the first instance. So the onus was really on me to go out and find that funding. That said, I couldn't have done it without being part of the university because it was grant funding. So they provided us with labs and office space. So they did provide funding essentially in kind, if you like, and support and infrastructure. So I'm ultimately incredibly grateful for them for doing that. So the first piece of funding, as I said, was grant funding. But grant funding is a a good to have because you can build value in the platform and the technology and you don't lose equity. Um, But you can't build a company solely on grant funding. That simply is just not sustainable. So you ultimately have to go out there and find some kind of equity funding and or investment. And the classic way to do that with a company like ours is to get VC funding. So I would normally say you could look for angel funding, which are smaller pots of cash, a few hundred thousand or half a million. But with a biotech company, because you know you're going to go on and spend tens of millions of pounds to try and get a drug into the clinic, angel support doesn't always fit with that model. So ultimately, you're going to go out there and you're going to look for venture capitalists. Challenging. I, I, I make no bones about that. I am completely honest about that. Um, Not only because of the geography of the company, because we're in the northeast of Scotland and we're not in the Golden Triangle in England. We're not on the west or east coast of the the United States where biotech is bubbling and and, and lots of things are going on. It's challenging because of where we're located, but also challenging because it's hugely competitive. Um, But, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's just about going out there, pitching at the right level, interacting with VCs, and um, learning how to be rejected without taking it too personally, and then going back and knocking on their door again a year or two later to say, we're still here. And now we've got this. This is how far we've come. Do you want to come on board now? So it's persistence, resilience. Um, it really is about just keeping on going. And um, But again, like I said, getting the right kind of network in place, which is really helpful. Going to these bio partnering meetings, which are just a fascinating thing to do. So you go in and out of small cubicles every 20 minutes and you meet strangers um, and you just build up this massive network, you know, so tiring, exhausting, exhilarating, exciting uh, and takes up most of my time.
0: Talking about your time, following up on this, there's a lot going on there, obviously. Um, how would you describe your work-life balance? How do you make sure that you mentioned earlier that you've got uh, some some children? Uh, how do you make your work and your life fit together?
1: Yeah, that's such an important question. And uh, I'm, I'm always interested with the word balance because balance is, is a funny way to describe it. Something's got to give, right? <laughs> you know, and you just have to make sure you give up on the right things. So, And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's something that I've had to learn to do because when you start a company, it is all in, you are all in. There's a lot going on at any one time. And, and, and that continues. But what does have to change is that you have to just stop and take time out for yourself and for your family. And it's something that I always say to people, you're no use if you're not productive, you're no use if you're absolutely shattered. You you really need to refresh yourself, you need to relax and you need to reinvigorate yourself. So I prioritize. uh, Prioritize at work, which is really important. What are the big things you have to achieve? What is the biggest thing that you have to deal with over the next few weeks, the next few months? And work out how to get there. It's all too easy to come into the office, look through emails, deal with things that are being fired with you and and be a a kind of busy person, but not a productive person. So critical to me, which is very basic, I have a pen and I have a book and I write down my to-do list and I make sure that I deliver on that, but deliver on the most important priorities first. I stop at a certain time and I leave work. And when I leave work, I leave work now. Now, that used to be a challenge. And I will take a phone call, OK, and I am guilty of looking at my phone and checking emails, but I really do try to shut up and shut away. The things that I do, I mean, I obviously have, I've got two daughters who are fantastic, but they've grown up and left home now, although they never truly leave home, I feel. Uh, but I paint, I go to the gym, I walk my aged dog Um, I, you know, I I read, I do other things. I get far too involved in things on Netflix now and it's terribly unhealthy. I should never have signed up for that, but it's good. I try and get escapism in my world. Um, So that's kind of the balance, but I did have to work at it because you can get easily consumed. But please, please, please take time out for yourself.
0: Yes, I think that's very good advice. There's always something else to do. What do you see would be the future for your career or for your company?
1: Well, if the company will keep me, I'll, I'll keep going with the company. <laughs> so uh, we are just on the cusp of bringing in more finances for the company, uh, which is really exciting because that will take us to the next stage of growth. Um, and I am really delighted to still be part of it. I mean, obviously, when you, the more money you bring in, it's not always the best option for you to continue CEO. And it's important for you to actually um, identify the point at which you need somebody else to come in and do that. But at the moment, it's all good. And I'm working through that and I'm looking forward to the next stage of growth. And so I see the company, the next stage of the company is taking these drugs that we've developed closer to the clinic and really converting that into something which has got clinical efficacy and clinical outcome. That will be huge for our technology. It will be huge for the company. So that's where I'm going with the company career wise and um, staying in the day job, but Being entrepreneur in residence for for Queen's is is just an absolute delight. I also do work for the Scottish Government. I also do work for the Royal Society. I sit on their um, Science and Industry Translation Committee. I also sit on a board here called Opportunity Northeast, which is all about raising the flag for life sciences. So I'm privileged to be part of those things. And, And they make me a better person because they broaden my experience and I'm able to give something back to those places that helped support me during my journey.
0: Great. So I'm going to go through like a quick fire and a few questions. So if you can give a concise answer of how you, how you feel about these topics. Uh, Some comes from uh, me, but some comes from actually people I talk to or people who attend, who are attending today's event and, and suggested things. So Caroline, do you think entrepreneurship is a healthy employment option? Yes. Is that concise enough? <laughs> I mean, you can be more concise. No, but that,
2: that's
0: a yeah. great, you know, first impression. Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, I, I, you know,
1: I used to worry about stability. Everybody worries about stability because we all have to have food on the table and, and, and build families and, and pay mortgages. But I think having come through a postdoc, which wasn't very stable, into a small biotech, which wasn't very stable, into a large pharma company, which wasn't very stable. I've now realized setting up my own company is the greatest stability I've ever had. Uh, And
0: so, yes, is the answer to that. My next question was, how risky do you think it is compared to other careers? But I think you just (laughs) answered that. Um, Do you feel pressure to work at all time? I, I do certainly. Yes, would be the answer to that. You do
1: feel the pressure. But as we've discussed it's about controlling that and being disciplined about that pressure um, and learning to deal with it and learning to to free yourself.
0: Yeah, I think most people feel that pressure, but you feel so good about yourself when you resist it though. Um, uh, another one, and I think you've kind of answered that, but just to make it clear, do you actually invest any of your own money or take collaterals on your personal properties, your personal assets when you build your own business?
1: Yes, I mean, that, that, that's very commonplace and, and it depends on the type of business. So, I mean, if I had a normal business where you made something and sold it, you would probably fund that yourself from friends and families. For a biotech company, It's a bit different because we need substantial, significant amounts of money. And and having been a postdoc, I really am not that wealthy, right? (laughs) So, But what I do have is whenever we bring investment in, you sign an investment agreement and there is always a liability uh, on the CEO within that investment. So sometimes it's two, three times your annual salary that you are liable for. If anything, you warrant during that due diligence process wasn't quite right. So that's a bit eye-watering. Um, but, you know, I have nothing to hide. You know, you you tell the investors everything. I mean, you're working with investors. It's not us against them. You're working together to make a success. But you do have to sign the liability clause.
0: OK, thank you. So do the team of scientists and the people you employ uh, tend to have more permanent positions or are they more on contracts like stocks, or maybe a mix of all of that?
1: <laughs> and, uh, good question. So they're all so if they're a team member, an employee, they have a permanent contract. But of course, only as permanent as the company is. <laughs> but what we do do is we do, I mean, we have a, a postdoc and a PhD student at Queen's at the moment. So, so we do also do collaborative kind of employment pieces. We also do KTPs. Uh, they are a fixed period of time, obviously, but they're joint with an academic institute.
0: And a follow up in that kind of quick fire run how important would you consider luck as a component for successfully running a company? Huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've met, I've bumped into people. Honestly, I've actually given elevator pitches to people. I just happened to bump into them and they came up in the lift and it was just opportune, right? Serendipitous. I said, hi, introduce myself. And then, you know, you, you take that, you take that relationship further and it could be an investment. So absolutely luck. But you're only lucky if you get up and get out there. Yeah.
0: Yes, Exactly. Um, thank you very much, Caroline. I think I'm gonna bring Kat in now on, and but we'll we'll have a, a WeChat all together at the end you and on some other uh, questions. Um, so Kat Maguire, so you're your Lin startup program manager at the university <laughs> I'm trying to do this in my head. You'll tell us the profit title. <laughs> uh, but what you do is manage some commercialization programs and entrepreneurship programs to ensure that some of the research that, that happens at the university can be translated into different kind of either spin up company or commercialized in any kind of way and translated into real uh, real life impact through our Postdoctoral Development Center, we tend to advertise those programs you're running. They all seem to be relatively similar in terms of their format and what they tend to look like. They're based on the the lean launch method often, and they would include some core elements uh, like mentoring or bootcamp training, IP training, maybe some time or funding for initial discovery of market. Can you give us an idea of what those kind of commercialization programs are? How do they work?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so we run a number of different programs, I suppose. And I suppose as as time goes on, we're kind of changing those programs and adding new programs and adding new partnerships. Um, So as Caroline was saying earlier, no no two days are the same in terms of what we do. But um, I suppose two of the core programs that that we run um, that are open to Researchers across the UK is the Lean Launch Program and the iCare Program. The iCare Program came about first. I think it's been going since maybe two thousand and thirteen, and it's basically at its heart is customer discovery. So. Teams of researchers apply to get on the program, and teams are usually consisted of an early career researcher, a PI, and their TTO representative, and then a business advisor as well. But they apply to come on the program. They go through a boot camp. But really, what they aim to discover through the program is whether there's actually a market for what they are proposing to do. Um, so the bootcamp camp would really help them to look at their business model, what it is they're selling, what's valuable, you know, what would customers really be interested in, and um, who are their customers. Um, and how they really communicate that to the world. And the eye care program, then following the bootcamp, you'd worked for three months full time on on, on your business idea. So a lot of the time it does stem stem from research and it's really just speaking to people, I suppose, um, is the essence of it. So... You know, going out speaking to potentially um, potential customers to get feedback from them because there's no point in spending a lot of money on something and a lot of time on something and a lot of resource if there's no customers for it. So a big part of it is speaking to, to potential customers, potential stakeholders, potential funders, potential competitors, see what they think. Um, you know, obviously there's there's always limitations with with IP, but we we kind of help people to kind of work around that so that they aren't revealing information that, that they shouldn't. But um, by the end of it, a lot of teams make a decision on whether they're going to actually proceed with, with, with this business idea, whether they're going to spin it out, whether they're going to do further research, whether they're going to license it. Um, and it really just helps. And to come to that conclusion, in those three months, um, it is a really intensive process. But I think the big benefit of it is that there's so much support. So, you know, in any entrepreneurial venture that you start, I used to work with student entrepreneurs. And before that, I worked with entrepreneurs just generally in, in Northern Ireland. And the thing that is always really important to remember is, you know, speak to people and, and, and there is support there. And that's um, what we try to reinforce as well during the iCare program. And then at the, the end of the ICRE program, there's an opportunity to pitch. So we provide some training in terms of how to pitch and how to pitch, I suppose, to people who might not be as technical as, as maybe the people that you're used to working with in the lab. And also just to kind of know um, what you want out of you know, the end of that process, whether it is that you want to get further research, whether you want to maybe speak to people about spinning out or you know whether you want to work on your, your business plan. And there's an opportunity then to like £300,000 of funding and further salary support. So I'll just add to that, um, that there is salary support during the iCure program as well. So that's, that's the main kind of the big program, I suppose, that they call it. Um, a lot of people find that it's maybe not suited to them just because of time or, you know, um, other commitments. So the Lean Launch program is formed as a part-time version of iCure. And it's really for people to dip their toe into the water, I suppose, to really see if there is something in it before um, progressing to the likes of iCure. More recently, we've been connecting with a lot of people. So we are we're currently recruiting for a BBSRC IQ. So it's a partnership with BBSRC. We're also working with Cancer Research UK on an LLP specifically focused around um, oncology. We ran a digital technology LLP last year. So there's lots of themes emerging, I suppose. And each of those programs do follow that kind of core of finding out whether there's customers for your business or whether you pivot, whether you need to change something. You know, we have, we have people who go out to the market and potential customers say, no, you know that's not of interest to me because of this or have you thought about this regulation that will stop you to take this forward or i suppose it just saves a lot of time and it is all based on the, the lean launch um concept where a lot of people think that their idea needs to be perfect before showing it to the market whereas if you just go out and set up a very simple web page with what you're trying to do and see how many people visit it and how many people search for it and see how many people on Google Analytics or, or searching for those keywords, it gives you a lot of information that saves you a lot of time, you know, and a lot of heartache and a lot of spending money. So it's really important to, um, to do that customer discovery before you kick off a business.
0: Great. Thank you, Kat. And I think one of the interesting points you made here too, is that you've got those two programs, especially that you manage and you're directly involved in, but there's a lot of different programs with different specialties or disciplines mm-hmm. or Aims, or I think uh, in our listeners, some people may be at Queens, and some people may come from a different university or in a different country. And different university may have different programs. Some of them are, you know, as you said, based on a region, not just a university yeah. specifically. So contact your university, your commercialization department, and ask them what is there for me, uh, what is yeah. available for the type of research that I'm doing, and, and yeah. ask because there's actually much more than we realize. There
2: is, there's so much out there. And um, I should have said that iCure and Lean Launch are both, um, they're funded by Innovate UK, so they're, they're UK-wide. We're on a bit of a break at the moment, actually, but we're about to commence new cohorts. So, But, yeah, in terms of programmes and in terms of funding, there's so much out there. If you speak to the right people, sometimes it's hard to know who to speak to, but I think the, the, the good place to start is always the, the technology transfer office. They're always really good at getting us. And obviously a, a, a PI, um, I'm in that position.
0: Great. And uh I mean from what I know of those programs, I think one of the great benefits of them is that they're really tend to put the postdocs or the early career researcher, there's a kind of wider definition there. But as a postdoc, when you're involved in one of those programs, you tend to be the person really driving a lot of the work and and leading on it. And when it spins out, often you would be the CEO, the actual person in charge, and you develop those contacts. And so in terms of career development, that's highly and hugely beneficial. Can you tell us a little bit more about the role of the postdocs, how they are supported maybe and... I know when we ask POSOCs, would you be interested in doing that, they'd be interested, but they're afraid mm-hmm. of the time commitment. So mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that there's some money for salaries usually with those programs. How does yeah. that work?
2: Yeah, so um yes, absolutely. It's it's a fantastic opportunity. And I would say that's it to anybody in terms of career development, if you can show that you've been involved in an entrepreneurial venture or even just have those entrepreneurial skills. Um, it's what employers of the future are looking for. So it, it's never time wasted. There is that time commitment element with iCure. There's salary is paid for three months. So you're basically bought out from the university for those three months to, to do that research. And it's always a team effort. So, you know, if, if an early career researcher is seeing this program and is interested in it, then, you know, speak to your team around you to make sure that it will fit into time scales and it will fit in with, with what the, the team is is doing. Aside from career uh, development, personal development is, is, is a major component of, of, of programs as well. The difference that we see. From people on day one to people at the end where they're actually delivering a pitch to, to potential funders and, and investors is just amazing and it, it's always heartwarming to see um, at, at the end of that process just how much um, they've progressed as a person and how much confidence they've got and how much knowledge they've gained and how much insights they've gained as well into their industry so i would encourage it for, from that perspective as well and um, the re-launch program the salary isn't funded um it's it's, it's obviously part-time for 10 weeks but the beauty of the Lean Launch program is that it can kind of fit around your schedule. Everything is recorded. It is part time. And um, we try to kind of work around you with that because we find a lot of people do have other commitments and they just can't commit to three months, taking three months out of the lab to, to go and do a program. So, you know, they can catch up on the Lean Launch We've we've actually noticed that our stats have really went up in terms of a more diverse, I suppose, cohort taking part in NLP because it is so flexible. So, you know, maybe people with family commitments or, or um, other things during the daytime can still access the programme. So it's been a real good benefit of it as well.
0: And have you seen either you or your team in general? Because I know you're still quite uh, new in your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Have you seen quite a lot of postdocs coming up and spinning out companies outside of these programs or actually licensing their technology or have you seen that?
2: Yeah, I am quite new to the role. So I started a year ago. So my background has um, always, I suppose, been in entrepreneurship. Um, but I used to work with with students. And before that I worked in, in local enterprise agencies, so with members of the public. But yes, I mean, spin to take a lot longer um than the businesses that I would have used to been used to dealing with. So in the past, people came to me with a business idea, we looked at how they could start it and the, you know they gradually kind of started it maybe over over a year. But spin outs take take a lot longer, and that's because, you know. Obviously, research takes a long time. All the legal stuff takes a long time. The IP paperwork and, and considerations take a long time. So everything just takes a lot longer. So we have seen a couple of companies spin out from Queens and also from, from other universities that go through the program. But I think even from an investor point of view, if investors are looking at you know some of the companies that go through the likes of the IQ program, they like to see that customer discovery. So I'll, I'll take it back to, for example, if anybody's seen the, the BBC Dragon's Den um, program. If someone comes in and has a letter of, you know, support from that they may have sold so many units automatically the dragons are really interested and in it. it's, it's, it's no different with this you know if you've done your customer discovery if you find out that there's customers and if you can prove it then ears prick up you know investors are, are interested and um, it will stand by you.
0: Great thank you very much so I'll go through a few questions because when we advertise today's event we asked potential attendees to tell us if they see any barriers that would stop them from becoming an entrepreneur or considering that career so I think if we can uh, both uh, you can. And, and Caroline gets some of your insight on the questions you feel comfortable. Uh, we get quite a lot of people saying that maybe what would prevent them from engaging with that would be self-confidence and not feeling they can actually do it. Maybe Caroline, from your own perspective of having done it, what do you think? No, that that's a perfectly
1: normal standpoint and concern. I was exactly the same and still, sometimes I feel that, you know, I, I I can't do this or I can't, you know, it's natural. It's human nature. you just, oh, the only advice that I can give you really is you'll be amazed at what you can do and what you can achieve. You just have to put yourself in that position. You just have to have a good support team around you. Please know that. But just step up and step out. And each time you do something, you just gain that greater confidence and um, confidence. A lot of it is about being bold, you know, because the worst thing you can do is not do anything at all sometimes, you know. And, and so better to give it a go and to experience it than, than to sit back and not do it.
0: Yes. And I guess if you feel that self-confidence is your only barrier, it means that you actually probably would like to try it. Definitely give it a go and uh, talk to your your university. See what's there for you to maybe try that a little bit. And and Kat, that's what you were t- saying also in your programs when you see the the candidates in the first day compared to their
2: last day. Yeah. Um, are they all very confident at the start? No, no, there's, there's definitely, yeah, a lot of people struggle with confidence. I think everybody does to a certain extent when they get out of their comfort zone, don't they? I think it's it's really, really important to break down what you need to do into, into smaller steps. So it can seem like a massive undertaking if you think, right, I want to start that company. But if you break it down into, right, what do you actually need to do in order to get to the next stage? Um, and, and you know, speak to people, make sure that you get yourself a mentor. There's so many good business advisors out there and mentors out there. Um, and a lot of them through our programs, a business advisor is funded. So there'll be someone who has expertise in your area and who has maybe done it before. Caroline's been a great mentor for, for some of our teams. And, you know, just to have that kind of almost cheerleader there to kind of keep you right and, and you know, reflect on their own experiences, it helps you to gain confidence, to kind of know what, what you're doing. But, you um, yeah, I think I think the key is just, as, as Caroline said, just do something, you know, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's also in that kind of lean nonch methodology is that a lot of people do think, right, everything has to be just right before I start. But just give it a go, you know, and you'll learn from your mistakes. And a couple of years back, we, we took some students to Silicon Valley, and that was one of the biggest lessons that some of the people there taught us is that it's not a mistake. it's It's a lesson that you're learning. So every time you do something and it goes wrong, you're learning from it. And I think that's really important to kind of remember as well.
0: Yeah, and I think those kind of programs that you run are a very good kind of first step into trying it out in a very safe environment with a lot of mm-hmm. support in from your your university commercialization team, but also from, as you said, the the mentors, the actual business mentors who mm-hmm. are allocated to you. And I guess would be when you don't know where to start, maybe looking at those kind of programs and initiatives with a group, with a cohort mm-hmm. can be a very good way uh, exactly. to get started.
2: There's there's, there's, a, there's, always a lovely kind of team ethos between all the, the people in the program. At the moment, we're running everything virtually, but once we start doing things in person again, I think that'll increase even more. But yes, everybody's in the same boat, and especially at the start. You know, I think you see that in in everybody and, you know, people are helping each other and there's some great kind of connections formed even during the programs. And during our coaching sessions, we we have our coaching sessions in small groups as opposed to -to one-to-one. So you can go into a room and you can see that other people are having the same challenges as you. And I think it helps to kind of spur you on too. But um, yeah, I I think you do gain confidence from gaining knowledge and you gain knowledge about how Speaking to people and participating in programs. And one of the big things I think with any kind of entrepreneurial program that I've worked on is that we're always very careful in vetting who actually delivers those programs and who um, mentors on those programs. So they're not scary, kind of drag and send type people, but that, you know, that, that they have dealt with with lots of startups before. They know that the challenges that are there and, um, you know, they're not going to sit there and demand why you haven't done something, but they're, they're there to help you and progress.
0: Great. And I expect for, whatever it's to become an entrepreneur when you are an entrepreneur networking and promoting what you do is a very important part Uh, I know it was mentioned as a barrier by some of our attendees do you have any advice for those who find networking quite difficult
1: I mean I I guess I'm a I'm a extroverted introvert, to be honest. I mean, I I, I go out there and I, I love people. I love people. I'm fortunate in that respect. And I think if you're working on a technology, it's interesting to hear what other people are doing and such like. So I think as scientists, as postdocs, you have that curiosity and it's kind of just an extension of that when you're going out and networking. It's like, you know, learning more, but I guess it's more targeted and more directed. I know some people find that terribly challenging and I know that even standing up on a on a platform and talking about your work, which is critically important to gain a network and, and to gain interest is difficult. It kind of comes back to that previous conversation that we had, is it's just about stepping out, just just gaining that little bit of confidence. There's nobody scary out there, you know, they're really interested in what you're doing and, and what you've got to offer and and what your company's all about, you know? So it is just about baby steps, but then just learning to be comfortable and confident with that and and going out and doing more. And my goodness, I'm so privileged. The number of wonderful people that I've met during this journey is just fantastic. And they become, they may be customers, they may be colleagues, and many of them are now friends, you know, And, and you tap back into that network because people move from different companies and do different things. And so you can pull them back in again, and get them to kind of help you out at different stages. Or actually, if someone came to me and said, do you know somebody in, I could maybe pull someone out and help them. So it is just about growing it, getting used to it, loving it, socializing. Now we can,
2: which is lovely. (laughs) And I think, I think networking has changed, especially over the last two years as well, because I think before maybe people's idea of, of networking was maybe going into a room and going up and speaking to all these random strangers. But there are so many ways now of networking. You know, LinkedIn is a fantastic too. And I always think if you do meet someone, um, it's it's really important to, to connect with them on LinkedIn afterwards because one, you kind of keep an eye on what they're doing. And a lot of the time that might be interesting for your future, but it's also just a good way to kind of keep in touch with people. Um, because if you get someone's email address, then a year later, you're trying to remember their names. Whereas, if if you just have a connection like that, you can just look them up. So there's lots of technology out there which makes networking a, a lot easier than than it used to be. I think I'm trying to find business cards from two years ago, it's just it doesn't work anymore. Sure, it doesn't. <laughs> Um, and there's also that thing around knowing what to say whenever you're networking, um, and I guess it's, it's also one of the things that we kind of focus on in our programs is that elevator pitch that, that, that Caroline talked about. Spend two minutes talking about your technology in a way that other people understand it, and I think if you master that, you can you can get a long way as well because if you do it in such a way that, that people will remember you by, then you'll grow your network quite substantially, and you know the network of right people as well. Um, I've definitely found over the years, you know, I've met people and maybe have one or two conversations with them. They tell you what they do. And a few years later, you're, you're talking to someone who could actually really do with the helper experience that, that person had. And you think, oh, I remember that person. I'll, I'll pick up with them. So, yeah, it's so important to keep in contact and, and kind of keep growing that network, regardless of what you do. And I think a network is important no matter what career path you choose.
0: Yes, thank you very much. I see we are getting close to the end of our time. I've got a couple of questions I I really like you to answer. One thing I wanted to ask you is, do you feel the world of entrepreneurship is more difficult to enter or be part of as a woman, Caroline? I I know there's less women entrepreneurs than men entrepreneurs. How do you feel uh, as a, a woman in business yourself?
1: I would say that, I mean, there should be no barriers to entrepreneurship as a woman. There's no question about that. I think, sadly, in reality, there, you know, if you look statistically, particularly in my world, about venture capitalist backing of female led companies, the statistic is something shocking like less than 3%, which really needs to be addressed. I'm part of the Life Science Executive Female Founders Advisory Board, and I work a lot with girls and women in STEM and such like. And it's all too repetitive a story about the the kind of perceptions about women in science and um, or women in in entrepreneurial positions and such like. And I think there just needs to be a change, a C-level change where those who are funding entrepreneurs are more females. Right. So, you know, I think you've kind of you're kind of tapping on the doors of a lot of boardrooms that consist of a lot of men. And we are different, right? I mean, vive la difference. We are different. We think differently. We react differently. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That de-risks a business if you've got a good mix of diversity across any type of diversity, right? But I have hit barriers. I'll be honest with you. I've been into one of these bi-partnering meetings and my chairperson happens to be a man and they spoke to him. They didn't even pay attention to the fact that I was the CEO. And my goodness, that irks me. Um, but then when they do start speaking to me, they realize, yes, this this person runs the business, knows the business, knows the science, knows the direction, knows everything about it. You know, so there is no easy answer to that. I think the more females that are entrepreneurial, the more females that are funding female entrepreneurs is, is definitely a way forward.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And the last question I wanted to to ask you both is what advice would you have for someone who's interested in the world of entrepreneurship, but maybe they don't have themselves a business idea or, or their current research is not really something that can be directly translated. What should they do?
2: tricky one. <laughs> it is a difficult one. Um well I suppose there's there's two sides So that. So the programs that we run are, I suppose, most suited to, to researchers in universities. But if you are a researcher and your research doesn't lend itself to entrepreneurship and you maybe don't have a business idea, there are other ways to get involved. So you can go and work for a startup, um, which sometimes is very much like being your own boss because as Caroline said earlier, you get involved in, in every aspect of it. Um, and sometimes from that you actually develop some some really good ideas um, that you can then take off and do on your own. Some people just look at their what they're really, really good at and start doing that as consultants. So th- there's there's ways there's ways to set up businesses. There's also programs such as in Belfast, there's a program called Co-Founders and it's basically people with skills who want to get involved in a startup and people with ideas who want to get involved in a startup. So someone might go along and say, I really want to get involved in a startup, don't have an idea. Um, they go along to the Co-Founders program and I'm sure there's programs like this across the UK and beyond, um, but they'll go with their idea and they'll find technical people who can help them to... Kind of co-found that and equally there might be someone who's really good at programming for example but doesn't have an idea so they'll maybe meet someone on that program who, who wants to develop um, an app or some software so there's there's programs there's um what you can do with your expertise and there's also just working in a startup and developing your own ideas those are the kind of ways i would say you potentially um get more involved and there's also lots of kind of ideation sessions that, that run across university and beyond all the time. So you go along and you kind of learn how to, to, to set up a business or how to think of a business idea. Um, and they're really useful as well. Just to kind of get that creative side of your brain thinking.
0: Great. Caroline, would you have anything
1: to add to this? No, I think Kat's covered it there. I mean, just be part of it if you can. And it stimulates, you know, you become stimulated if you're part of a, of, of a new venture or, or are involved with people who are starting companies and such like. No, so Kat had that covered.
0: I think we're going to have to stop here because we've run out of time. So thank you so much, Caroline and Kat, for sharing all your experience and your insight today on that topic of entrepreneurship as a, a postdoc or an early career researcher. it been very helpful.
2: Thanks for organizing, Elise. It was really interesting. Yeah, thank always, you. It's always good. lovely to hear Caroline's Caroline's <laughs> <laughs> wisdom. Kat and Caroline, what a team. I know, exactly. C&K. I know.
0: <laughs> no, you've been brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's all for today. I hope this episode helped you understand entrepreneurship a little better. And if you want to listen to more career journeys, you can subscribe to this podcast or visit our page at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast Bye.